Welcome to the world of Rex. This is Marvel Rex here. We're going to be looking at the weekly energy vibes through the prism of astrology and other metaphysical matters. I'm really excited. We're going to be talking about the week of February 13th to February 19th. It is Valentine's week. What a loaded topic, huh? I have a lot of strong feelings about, uh, you know, American holidays in general. I think they're very strange for the most part. Um, And uh, Valentine's Day is not excluded from that feeling. Um, But we will talk about it. We have Halo Rossetti on as our guest. We are just wonderful recurring guests. We love Halo here on the pod. And we're going to be talking about love and romance. So please stay tuned for that because we're going to go in deep. And it's not just going to be like, you know, what we are spoon fed around romantic love. We're going to do some deep introspective Pluto, Pluto, Pluto and Mercury are on top of each other right now in late degrees Capricorn. And when Mercury and Pluto are together, you go deep, you go in really, really deep to understand why do, what are the machinations of romantic love? What have we been fed in terms of the Disney version of love? Uh, what is, uh, are there many different kinds of love? So we're going to go in really deep. It's going to be a juicy conversation. And because we're going in really deep, we are going to keep the weekly vibes at the top of the episode brief, nice and succinct. And luckily there is not a ton of energy happening right now. We are really gearing up for March and April. I keep saying this, but this is when the roller coaster starts to really click up to the top and then roll down. So February is a little bit of an interim month energetically, which is good for us, each and every one of us to kind of gather our things, do some logistics, do some self auditing and mentally, psychologically, spiritually, and physically get prepared for eclipse season, which will really start to gear up honestly by you know, March. March has two big ingresses of Saturn and Pluto into new signs, new territory, and then it's eclipse season. So February is before all that. <laughs> and it's mid-February, right? So we're in kind of a lull. There's still things happening. We'll talk about them, but it's a lull energetically. And so when there's a lull with the planets behaving above us, as above, so below, our lives, we get like some respite, some breathing room to be like, okay, I just finished a few things up. I have to think about whatever mess happened during the Mars retrograde, which was October 31st to January 12th. So think about what communication stuff happened then. You're cleaning that up in February to prepare yourself energetically with a clean slate for this solar eclipse in Aries on April 20th. It's a brand new restart in the sign that rules new beginnings, right? This is all new beginnings. Very, very exciting. As we leave the COVID signature of those late degrees of Capricorn. Hooray. I wish I had like a clap, like a clap sound effect because we are clapping. That's a laugh track. It's not a laugh track. It's a clap track for leaving the COVID situation. All right. So we're going to start with, you know, it's funny. It's, I actually want to say it's really funny that Valentine's Day falls smack dab in the, well, last third of Aquarius season. Aquarius is not a romantic sign. In fact, It is in exact opposition to Leo, which is one of the most, if not the most romantic sign in the Zodiac. So I I find these, you know, American holidays really funny because Aquarius is cold, disaffected and logical. It's not flowers and roses and like, you know, I'm going to just like put the petals on the bed and, and light the candles. Leo, it's not Leo. It's the antithesis of Leo. It's the counterbalance to Leo. And so I think folks really tend to get air signs are in your head. So I think folks tend to get really in their head about Valentine's Day precisely because the energetic signature is Aquarian. It's like, oh, but 
how do other people feel about love? You know, you're going to listen to Halo and I talk about it. That's very Aquarian. It's two people discussing like the overarching or the logical or even the conceptual ideas around love. That's all very Aquarian. And there's a focus on other people. And I think folks tend to compare themselves around this period of time, around Valentine's Day. Like, do I have love? Do I not have love? Am I excited about my love? And there's, there's a headiness that is very Aquarian and very like comparative. Like, what's the collective doing? I feel pressure to do what the collective is doing around love. And it's just ironic to me that this always happens during Aquarius season. So if you feel in your head about it, that's very much the signature. Saturn is within degrees, literally three degrees at the top of the week. Saturn and the sun are literally like right next to each other in Aquarius. And Saturn is also a starving energy, a cold, uh, like very uh, paternal, fatherly, structured, kind of dogmatic energy. And it's dry. It's not lubricated. And so the sun itself is feeling a certain depression. The only saving grace to this Valentine's Day week is that Venus and Neptune are conjoined in Pisces. Uh, I think that happens exactly on Wednesday, the, the 15th, but they are almost exactly conjunct on Valentine's Day. And that's the, <laughs> that is the only saving grace of this Valentine's Day because Venus and Neptune in Pisces add a ton of lubrication. They literally are like, here's the lube packet. Like, <laughs> let's not get hurt, you know? So Venus and, and Pisces, Venus and Neptune and Pisces are luckily adding some romance and some sweetness to this week, which we will need. And it is rose-colored glasses. This energy is extremely rose-colored glasses. So the way I see this playing out, because they're in semi-square, which means that they're 45 degrees away from each other, they're in semi-square to the sun and Saturn, is that people are going to end up going on dates that like honestly could even be fun, but like it's a one-off date. They're like, eh, I don't know. That, that was that like I had a good time, but like in retrospect, I woke up the next day and was like, I'm over it. So there's going to be like a lot of like missed connections, a lot of like, or we did that. It felt really good in the moment. And then later I realized Sun Saturn. No, that person's not for me. That's not the structure I want in my life. There's going to be like a lot of funky communication things happening here. Mars is still in Gemini. So there's this like duplicity that's very possible during Valentine's Day. I don't love this chart. Like if I was to elect a chart to go on a romantic date with someone, it would not be this chart. I do like Venus and Neptune together in Pisces for like social lubrication, rose-colored glasses, feeling fuzzy vibes. But the sun and Saturn in semi-square to it is not, it's a, it's a, Deb, it's like Eeyore. It's like, it's a Debbie Downer. It's like, uh, womp womp. Like maybe you love 80% of a person that you're going on a date with, but then they do one thing and you're like, nope can't it's a deal breaker you know like that's sun saturn that's a deal breaker so be i guess my advice for everyone is be really um hmm be tempered in love this week this is not necessarily a week to like be like oh my gosh that valentine's date i had that's the love of my life like game over i'm so convinced because there's a lot of contradictory energy in the sky, especially on Tuesday, Wednesday, which is Valentine's Day and then the, the day after. A lot of contradictory energy happening. That being said, the sun is in Sag or the moon is in Sagittarius on Valentine's Day. So this is kind of nice because the moon in Sag says, F it, let's have fun. So I think that a lot of people might be like, look, this isn't my forever person, but F it, let's have fun. 
And for those who are in committed partnerships, it's it creates a certain nice levity, even if there is some like maybe discord with the Sun Saturn or like, um, you know, we're only going to we're going to go double Dutch on the date. Like we're both going to pay for equal parts. That would be very Sun Saturn and Aquarius. Right. So like there's some sort of structure that's a little bit of a want want to the Pisces, which is like, let's just like ride into the ocean together, baby. Like, yes, the sunset. There's some wah-wah energy, but the sun in Sag says, hey, let's have some fun. Let's do something spontaneous. Let's do something weird or kinky or like, you know, enjoyable. So there's a levity and I think it'll help it. The sun, the moon in Sag will be an escape hatch to some of the Saturnian energy that's present in this chart. It is opposite Mars, though. So we're not, you know, we've got malefics up in this up in this house. OK, we've got Saturn and Mars active players. And when malefics are active in a chart, there is some sort of tension that's going to be available. And there's something it could be sexual tension. That's really nice for Valentine's Day. And there can also be all the other kinds of tension, all the other kinds of sense of limitation with Saturn. Mars can give a really nice um definitely libido. So that's really nice to have there. Uh, I would keep it lighthearted and I wouldn't be making any really strong um, announcements or commitments during this period of time. Mars is still moving really slow in Gemini and he can't really make up his mind in Gemini. So that's part of that. So that's Valentine's Day in a nutshell. I find it really weird in general because again, Aquarius is so cold and why are we trying to do like a love ritual when <laughs> we're in the middle of winter, like archetypally? It's just so weird to me. But anyway, maybe that's what keeps people together. I don't know. Um, here, Coming from the Aquarius stellium over here, I have four or five planets in Aquarius. You know, it's a lot. Anyway, um, moving on, we're going to... Oh, I did want to say that the week starts out Monday with a moon in Scorpio, and that's going to create an intensity to the whole week. Scorpio is a lot about merging with another, sharing resources, going into deep psychological states with another person, uh, you know, codependency, a lot of different things. It holds trauma. So the whole week is is characterized by a depth and wanting to get to the bottom of something. So even though Valentine's Day has that Sagittarius moon, which gives us some levity, Sagittarius being the adventurer and being open-minded in a lot of ways, um, the, the Scorpio moon to start the week off is like people will be having deep feelings about partnership. People will be having strong emotions about how they really merge with other people. So that's just going to color the whole week. And it starts out with that square to Saturn. So the moon in Scorpio squares Saturn in, in Aquarius. And people will probably be comparing themselves to other people. Do I have love? Am I satisfied with my love? What is love to me? So, you know, stay tuned for Halo and I because we're going to try to break it down and really tease out some of the problematic uh, qualities of how we are fed the love narrative in Western culture. That's something that could be really uh, triggering for people this week. And that makes sense. It's Valentine's Day. People have a lot of feelings about that holiday. And my advice is uh, do the deeper work. Don't make it about Valentine's Day. <laughs> There's deeper things underneath if you're having strong emotional reactions. Okay. And then Friday, we end with the moon conjoined Pluto. So this is actually a total mirror to the moon in Scorpio. So, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, we are coming in to more serious, like a more serious tone when the moon enters Capricorn. Uh, definitely it's a sign of commitment. So, you know, whatever happens on Valentine's Day, folks may be feeling like, am I, am I getting, is there some sort of commitment here? Is there, was that a one-off? It could very well be a one-off because there's a lot of contra contradicting energy happening here. I would just focus on your work and what you want to do for your career. The moment the moon enters Capricorn, which is actually to be precise, uh, Pacific standard time is happening. 
uh, late night on uh, Wednesday. So Wednesday, late night Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we have the moon in Capricorn and it's time to get more somber and serious and maybe even put aside the romantic challenges or any of the Valentine's Day stuff, but just putting it aside. Moon conjunct Pluto on Friday, the 17th, is uh, highlighting the Mercury retrograde that just happened because Venus, Mercury, and uh, the Sun have all spoken to Mer to Pluto, and now the Moon is talking to Pluto after all of them have gone direct and moved past Pluto in late degrees Capricorn. So the Moon talking to Pluto on Friday, I just want everyone on Friday, uh, again, this is PST time, so you know for some folks in, in the UK it'll be Saturday for my UK listeners, but Friday and Saturday with the Moon on Pluto, there are deeper realizations. There are secrets being revealed. There are really deep psychological conversations. There are important conversations happening, feelings coming up. So Friday is a, a good day to give yourself a little bit of breathing room to be like, oh, wow, that came up. That came up from the depths. That's really intense. Okay, I have to process that. The moon is going to be void, of course, on Friday starting at 8 p.m., Pacific time. So by the evening on Friday, you should let yourself really sit into the feels. When the moon is void, of course, you you also need to to wander. That's what is happening. You need to let yourself be free and wander. What I mean by that is very clearly like rest, just rest and like let yourself do nothing or do something very pleasurable or easy. Uh, that would be the time to do that and let yourself feel the feelings on Friday. There can be very intense conversations on Friday, by the way, just very intense conversations or a lot of conversations with Scorpios or Capricorns coming in. Very deep psychological um, placements here. The weekend vibes in general, and then we're going to sign off here. The weekend vibes are very Aquarian. The moon is in Aquarius Saturday, Sunday. So this is going to highlight that Aquarius new moon that took place right around January 22nd, 23rd. So think back to what was going on in your life in the last week of January. There's going to be some stuff coming up around the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, just reframing that new moon or giving you more information. The sun will be at the last degrees of Aquarius on the on Saturday. So the, the sun is about to hop into the warm waters of Pisces, and we're going to start to see the beginning of spring, which is really exciting on the northern hemisphere. But the whole weekend has an Aquarius stellium. So the focus here is on your community, on your on the internet related things in your life, social media, how you work with other people. Are you a team player? Are you a community oriented person? Do you care about humanity? I mean, these are big questions and the weekend has that sort of tone. It's not the sexiest weekend. Aquarius is not, as I just said about Valentine's Day, it's not a super lubricated, warm, gushy sign. It's rather the antithesis. So let yourself feel logical. Think about your friendships. There's a lot of emphasis on friendships here because Aquarius rules friendships. So think about your friendships, platonic nature. Do you have romantic, you know, do you have romantic rituals for your friends? That would be something nice to do this weekend. You know, you can have different kinds of relationships, you know, and Halo and I are going to talk all about that. Uh, and this is a great weekend to sort of be more experimental uh, with your approach to friendship, intimacy, those kinds of things, and thinking about your larger communities. So that is the weekend. Again, the, the skies are rather quiet. There is movement happening, but it's not really, really big, important movement at this moment. The weather report is like, you know, drizzling rain. It's not like a full, full blown thunderstorm. And, um, you know, let yourself have a certain degree of uh, detachment from 
from Valentine's Day. If there is one good thing I could say about having feelings around Valentine's Day, whether you're single or, or partnered, is Aquarius allows us to have a certain degree of like, eh, okay, I mean, whatever. But there, there's larger, more import, important future-oriented things to be concerned about. So there can be some detachment here that can be helpful if you're having strong feelings at the top of the week, especially with that moon in Scorpio, squaring Saturn in Aquarius. I love each and every one of you. If you want to get a reading, I highly recommend that folks get readings before March because March is such a big turning point. April is an even bigger turning point. And getting prepared, getting psychically and emotionally prepared with key dates, with timing where I can really help you map out like, okay, this is what's coming in and this is the timing around that. So you can find the link in my show notes at the bottom of these episodes and you can get in contact with me there. To schedule a reading, I do a sliding scale for folks across economic uh, realities, across the spectrum of economic realities. So please reach out. I'm happy to do it. It's a great time before the eclipses come in and before Saturn and Pluto move into big signs, new signs in March. Okay. And now we're going to speak with the wonderful, the romantic, the dreamy, the practical Halo Rossetti. And we are back on the World of Rex with Halo Rossetti. Hello. Halo, yes. Halo is here for the Valentine's Day special episode. We love they, it. They are a multi-hyphenate creator, director, actor, writer. They are working at the Circle of Confusion right now, right? You were repped by Circle of Confusion. Yeah, my, my I'm, I'm repped, yeah, as a writer, director through Circle of Confusion. I love my managers being very patient with me because I've had a very chaotic life at the moment. But shout out to Circle. Thanks for representing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, Halo was recently featured as one of the actors in my, uh, I'll say it's, I'll call it an experimental film called American Masculinity, working through the Tama Finland Foundation here in Los Angeles for the residency. Oh, yeah. We're doing some transmasculine. Yeah, we're doing some transmasculine takeover of Tama Finland. They're, ex they're excited. We're ready. I'm excited. Let's do this. Transfagatry. Let's Trans go. Transfagatry. Look, gay men have figured they're not it out. Ready. They're the well, gay. they're not ready, but they've all, they're also like, but I need to know, you know? Yeah. They're like, let's get a trans guy in Tama Finland house. And I was <laughs> like, cool. I'm going to bring 20 of my friends. Uh, no problem. Yeah, exactly. We're taking over. So get ready for that. Get ready. We're, that. we're fully taking over. So everyone stay tuned for that. It's going to be super sexy. Halo makes an appearance with their partner, Caleb. Shout out to Caleb. We Shout love Caleb. Caleb. We love Caleb. This is the Valentine's Day episode of the World of Rex. Uh, Valentine's Week, I should say. Mm -hmm. I did a little intro, so folks already know kind of the vibe. There's yeah. a whole thing happening. I'm, I want to say to the audience right now, I am so happy to be here with Halo talking about this. Because Halo brought to me a lot of amazing material, including a conversation that Dean Spade, and if you don't know who Dean Spade is, look up Dean Spade, because Dean Spade's amazing. Maybe a conversation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Tell me more about what, what would you say about Dean Spade? He's an, he's an activist. He's been like just doing a lot of on the ground activism for a really long time, wrote a book about mutual aid and solidarity. I think was either the founder or the co-founder or, you know, a founding member of the Sylvia Rivera Law Project. Mm. I literally have seen Dean Spade like interview C.C. McDonald, which is the character that Laverne Cox's character in Orange is the New Black is based on and like wow. Tormelin and stuff. Yes. Also, he's like uh, in his mid 40s and has never owned a cell phone. And for that reason alone, I respect <laughs> this person. We love Dean Spade. Trans really? how, icon. How you, icon. Like, that is iconic. Yes. Icon. 
Yes. To, to have ne- not not he had one and he doesn't have one. He, motherfuckers never had a cell phone. Bless his heart. He's he's like, living the he's living the good life. I respect that person <laughs> so much. Yes. You know? So Halo brought to me a conversation that Dean Spade had on Valentine's Day of 2021, which is interesting because that was also like lots of Aquarius stuff happening during that period of time. Saturn was still there. Um, and Saturn's here today as we talk in Aquarius. Dean Spade talks to the Fireweed Collective, and there's a beautiful, I'm going to link it in the show notes, but there's a beautiful conversation that he has called Romance is a Myth, and it's basically a presentation he gives around romantic love. Yeah, and the romance myth, the concept of the romance myth. Yes. And and I was there for that talk, and I will just say that like he seemed like nervous to talk about because it was his first time giving that presentation. And also it's like, it's really edgy. It's edgy to talk about love. It's edgy to talk about the romance myth. And it's also edgy to talk about that with queer and trans people because a lot of queer and trans people are poly and like trying to work that shit out. And there isn't necessarily a lot of illumination and it's such a deep, deep myth that's ingrained in all of us. So it was, in a way it was an edgy talk, but it really changed my life when I heard it the first time. It's so beautiful. I really highly recommend that everyone actually take a moment after the podcast or whenever you have time to click on that link in the show notes and and listen to it listen to it with your partner listen to it with a friend like it's so rich I mean we're going to talk about it today but it is just I was really like I said to you in the pre-show chat it has synthesized like a decade's worth of worth of work that I have done around um, concepts like housewivization we will talk about part of why it's so edgy is that when we t- when we try to break down the romance myth, we are trying to break down capitalism because capitalism is based off of these structures. We'll get into it. And agriculture and like all these things that basically shape our society. Exactly. Yeah. So it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like getting in and like blowing up the Death Star by hitting that one part of the Death Star. Like it is, it is that. It is that when you start to break it down. So we're going to talk about it today. I love and part of why we part of why Halo and I are talking about this today in a way that I find to be astrologically brilliant and attuned is that in the sky for the Valentine's Day chart today, well, February 14th, if you're listening to this right around Valentine's Day of 2023, there is a really dramatic contrast in the chart. We have Saturn in Aquarius on top of the sun in Aquarius, which is like collectives, friends, mutual aid. How do we how do we go into the future in a way that's sustainable and really post-capitalist? That's really that signature. The other side of the coin in the same chart is that Venus and Neptune are conjoined in Pisces together. And this is a once in a year transit. And they are romantic love, rose colored glasses, the prince and the princess, beauty and the beast. Like this transit is very much like I'm ignoring the red flags just to be in love, just to feel the love. This is the romance myth. So we're having this exact transit happening while Saturn and the sun are together in Aquarius. And there's there's they're in semi-square to each other, which is profound tension. So you and I are going to talk about the profound tension of this day. And it's exemplified in the chart for 2023. Totally. And I also just want to say, side note, uh, I'm planning a wedding. Caleb and I are getting married. <laughs> Sorry, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, uh, like we love each other. It's a real wedding. Whatever mm-hmm. FBI agent might be listening, I will also say that my visa was revoked. <laughs> so, uh, I love the caveat wedding, there. Yeah, this wedding is happening. You know, a little, a couple years ahead of schedule, but it is so fascinating. Like I'm, I'm someone I never thought I was going to get married. I've mm-hmm. been probably my whole life. Now I'm more sort of ethically non-monogamous, but with my partner. But it's just like going on these wedding registry websites and like watching, looking at people's weddings. Like the romance is like, you know, it's like. So it's big. like 
you're a special day and everyone's like asking their friends to pay for them to do like ten thousand dollar holly like honeymoons and like people are renting out 350 person venues and yes. I'm, I'm just like just the capitalism of it all I'm like I'm trying to do a wedding for like a few grand you know yeah. and that already feels exorbitant yeah it's just yes. insane like it's insane and like I really think what's really funny is that I think people just want to show up and celebrate their friend most of yes. the time which is the Aquarius bit yes. yeah and just like don't, don't care about like how much you spend on your fucking wedding but it's just the way the extent to which capitalism and like fucking valentine's day and like the romance myth are intertwined is just like just go us go on a wedding registry website for like one minute and we'll all become abundantly clear you know? <laughs> yes and this val and, and valentine's day itself is you know i have a lot of strong feelings about you know american holidays in general and how capitalistic they are and how capitalistic they've become especially from like pagan roots yeah. And not that Valentine's Day is necessarily rooted in paganism. Um, it's uh, we are we, we looked into it and it doesn't make any sense, right? It like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm almost <laughs> just wondering, like, I'm just gonna go, where did Valentine's Day come from? Because I really feel like it was invented by corporations, honestly, because it feels like a very corporate, yeah, you spend money, and there is this there's this wonderful scene from Triangle of Sadness, the movie that just came out, I highly recommend 10 out of 10. But there's this wonderful opening scene that I actually just redid in an acting class, which I loved. I was like, okay, I can't believe we're doing this scene. But at the top, they're in a they're in a restaurant, and the man it's a man and a woman, cis man, cis woman. They're both basically white, essentially. Um, and you know, she asks, she's like, "Thank you, honey," and she asks him. She's basically saying, "Thank you for paying." And he, he hasn't brings, consented to, which he hasn't consented to, and he brings up this like twenty five year old white guy, beautiful model. He's just like. Well, why do I have to pay? Like, what? Wh why are we doing? Like, have we? Have you ever thought about like why women are always paying for the? You know, and she starts being like, "Who do you think I'm?" Equals. Like, I just, just want to be equals. Yeah, yeah. he goes, "I just want," which is very Aquarian. Aquarians like equal. Like, let's make some equal opportunity. Let's like horizontalize these things and not create hierarchies. And she flips the fuck out and like gets up in the restaurant. And they get in this huge fight because she's like, she's she's basically capitalism saying, "Don't you threaten me? This yeah. is how this works." And also, I would just say, like, I mean, I'm I'm a trans masculine person that spent many, many years as a femme. And I'm like, you know, speaking from my femme side, it's so hard to talk about, like, femme manipulation <laughs> towards. It's like, both. And Dean Spade both. talks about that. Yeah. In this like, talk. It's just this sort of, like, manipulation of, like, and then she says at the end of the scene, I'm so manipulative. I don't even know when I'm doing it. Exactly. And she's out there to find someone to take care of her in case she falls pregnant. Exactly. And I'm just like, this is. When we just assume that patriarchy is just about men being shitty, we don't no. look at anti-femme bias. We don't look at the way that we're all conditioned from a young age. Yes. And like when you don't feel empowered and like you're being protected, like there are very underhanded ways of getting your needs met that exactly. are also and when each and every one of us is forced into the nuclear family dynamic through through the through yeah. housewivization, which is historical, by the way, you can look at Nazi propaganda of the housewife. Like the Nazis were hardcore about creating a housewife persona so that a man needed a woman. She took care of him while he worked in the factories. This is in pre this is industrialization. Totally. Right? The and we create these hyper isolated dynamics where there's of course going to be manipulation because you're under so much pressure to provide. In a, in actually, I in my I'm just gonna say it in like a schizophrenic situation. There's nothing natural about it. I mean, Dean Spade talks about Native American folks being like living in log cat, like living in log houses, which were communal spaces. And in in all sorts of parts of the world, people live in communal spaces. But what happened in the West? What happened in industrialization and capitalism? Right, one house, one family. Right. One house, one family. Yeah, totally. Totally. And also the idea that two people are responsible for raising a child, which 
that's never been true. I think it, it really does take a village to raise a child. And Absolutely. like it's very toxic for the kid to look at two people as like a godlike figure of authority. Yes. When in fact, like back in the day or in a different cultures, like a kid can ask five different people for an opinion and all their opinions have equal weight. It's not yes. just like whatever my mom says is what's true. Exactly. But that's just a lot of pressure to put on one person. Yes. And, and of course, if you're a femme in that, if we're, or let's say that you're feminine as opposed to like being a femme, which is more of a politicized term, but let's say right. that you're in that position where like you don't necessarily feel empowered to make your own money. You're not in a position where you're even allowed to do that sometimes. Like it's like all you've learned is that you have to be sexy and appealing and viable to yes. get someone else to be a breadwinner for you. And so that's yes. like a survival mechanism. And that's yes. like, it's just toxic for everyone. The problem is just generally when anyone doesn't acknowledge the sort of default patterns they have, then we just recreate the same violence that was force fed us to us through like Disney when we were kids and shit, you yes. know? It's profoundly Disney. It's also, you know, I think of my, I have two parents who are still in a relationship with each other. My parents are still together. And I think about all of the unspoken, the, 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 they both have never been able to say no because of their dynamics. There's so many places where they've never actually been able to say no, even though I can sense and feel, wow, there was a no there. It just right. is, there's no room for any kind of, and Dean Spade talks about this in the talk. He's like, we need to actually get into a place where we are creating a radical no. And it yeah. should be okay in every relationship for a partner to be like, no. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Or like, I don't want to have sex right now. Or like, I don't want to, you know, and having that conversation and having that for everybody. But it, but the key point that I think you are, are, are getting to is that we need to have a communal, the, the relationships have to be more networked. Well, yeah. Our relationships have to be more networked because, yeah. look, if I say to you, let's say, Halo, just hypothetically, you and I are in a sexual relationship. Let's just say hypothetically. Right. If I come to you and I'm like, I want to have sex, you're like, no, I don't. But if we're in a networked situation, I can be like, oh, maybe I can have sex with Caleb and I can go, you know what I mean? Or like, or whatever. I can go and find ways through my network right. to have an experience. Now, of course, that's a little cut and dry. It might be too. Well, it also depends on like whether your what your agreements are. Like if we're exactly. polyamorous, that's fine. Yeah. And that and and in that way is polyamory can be a network, but also like even if you're monogamous, it's like cool. I'm gonna go get off and do solo sex for an hour. I'll be back. Right. Like, I'm gonna do this X Y Z thing, and that's actually something you know. Well, Caleb, I'm talking about this on the show, but that's something that Caleb and I talk about because, you know, Caleb has a really strong solo sex practice, and so he is never coming to a sexual moment with me from a place of deficit, and yeah. that completely changed my life because I've been in so many situations before that where I've just felt this person whoever I'm dating coming to me because they just really need to have sex with me specifically yeah. and I'm not feeling it. And I sort of start to feel used and it's harder to say no. So yeah. just let someone just come to me with all their needs met, but just want to have sex because they love me and we're partnered. Like that's very healing. Yes. But, not, but most people just don't have a robust solo sex practice. Most people don't have a healthy relationship with the erotic. They yeah. basically decided that the person they're dating is their sole font of erotic intelligence and wisdom when in fact the erotic to me is just like being inside of the present moment it's this energy that runs through us all the time yes you know? i think of um uh kate bornstein's partner and i'm trying to look up her name Barbara Corellis. thank you yeah. yes I, I can't believe i forgot i'm like i love her so much but she does stuff around meditation like masturbation but meditation and and i've and that really is like a specific or maybe just like more advanced form of what we're talking about, but like having a solo sex practice that is like connecting you to God, connecting you to spirituality, right. to source. Right. And exactly that point where like, 
Caleb is making a decision that allows him to be more networked, even just with himself, which is brilliant, right. where he's just like, I have a relationship. I have a full blown relationship with myself. Right. And I have that too. Like I have a very strong solo sex practice because yeah. like, I, I don't want to be coming to people being begging. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and also, you want to come from yeah. surplus, right? Like that's the thing is that that's what I've learned in my own recovery around love addiction and stuff is that I realized for a long time I was coming to people with a deficit, which meant that every single person that came to me, they were like a drug and I could like hit them and use them like, a, like hit them up. Like, yep. like, a, as oh yeah, as if them. they were a drug. Yeah. As if they were a drug. And like, people will do this to me. Sometimes they'll be like, can I show you a picture of my girlfriend? Or I want to gossip to you about my love life. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Are you doing this mm. because you're not getting enough supply from that person that you need to keep pressing the button by talking to 20 other people about it? because I don't want to participate in that right because yes, I've done that I've done yes. that I've been a person that I've gotten a scrap of love from someone that I'm dating and I'm like look at all everyone look at this picture I am truly loved or like I'll be in a conflict and I'll be like I want to tell 25 people about how wronged I am and I'm like seeking validation all the time and it takes me out of being present with source because I'm just using other people as drugs yes. so I think similarly like the more I like lean into I have a solo sex practice too and like I am still trying to make it as robust as I want it to be. Mm -hmm. It actually is very confronting to like really sit there with yourself and be like, what turns me on? Even if I look grotesque or strange, what's the weird stuff that's inside of me? And like, yes, be present with yourself. It's very, very hard work. Yes. But I want to be able to, I'm that and many other things I try to do in my life, like, you know, like basically do what I call hitting top lines, which is like things that improve and boost my self-esteem. Yes care of myself, brushing my teeth, you know, getting food on the table, living in a neat house, tidying my room, all this stuff that basically rebuilds my capacity yes. so that I'm not just in a place of neutrality, but I have surplus or I have more energy, more, more of my own supply than what I need. And I can give it away freely, but exactly. it's very hard to give away freely. If everyone's coming to you with this huge lack, then you just feel like you're being drained all the time. You and know? the point that Dean Spade makes and that you are, we are both also alluding to here is that the way that the system and structure itself is set up in terms of like a nuclear family set up in terms of the romance myth create it is literally creating deficit like the structure of it is like no you need this person this person's going to solve all your problems right. and it, it creates so much pressure and there's no emphasis on what would be the aquarian side of it is like are you friends with yourself baseline yeah. are you friends with yourself baseline are you friends with yourself baseline because yeah. the romance myth works on people who are like I need a knight in shining armor, regardless right. of gender, regardless right. of gender. I don't really care. I need a knight in shining, shining armor. I need a princess. Someone's going to take and rescue me from the castle, you know, and all that other bullshit Disney shit that we were taught. I know being your own friend, listen, I think about this all the time because it took a while for me in recovery, realizing that like, sometimes I'm feeling a little off and I'm realizing I'm feeling off because I've abandoned myself, which mm. is basically like there's a, there's a person inside of me, my, let's call it my little, my inner child, my inner halo. That's like, hey, you need to hang out with Halo and spend time with Halo. And I realized that Halo is as in myself. That's another relationship, another friendship that I have to nurture. It is. It if is. I'm not putting quality time into like my relationship with Halo, then I'm basically like basically abusing myself and treating myself like shit and then relying on other people to like make up for that deficit that I've created inside of myself. Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth. I have... I have a very strong friendship practice with myself and I'm currently working in my own partnership to create more space for that friendship because yeah. I'm like, yes, I understand. And also like I, I grew up talking to myself and I'm not, I mean, whatever, however people feel about talk, but like literally I was like, I love my, I love my, I'm one of those people. You can sense it when you're around me. Like I love hanging out with myself. Yeah. 
And in late capitalism, there's especially as you get older and take on more ambition and more responsibility, it is harder to make time for all the friendships, especially yeah. the most key one that you said, that one that really supplies surplus, which is, are you friends with yourself? Right. And I've noticed the people that cause the most drama in externalized friendships have a very shaky relationship to their to their inner friendship with themselves, right? Yep. I mean, always it's like this feeling of like, well, I'm lonely. So someone has to hang out with me. And I'm just like, let's, let's interrogate loneliness. Cause that's yes. real, right. But you know, it's like, first of all, if you find yourself hang like alone a lot, are you isolating or are you having healthy alone time? That's the first thing. Yes. Because some people will just isolate because it's really fraught to be friends with other people. It's very yes. painful when you have attachment wounds it can sometimes just be too painful to make yourself vulnerable so yeah. you sit at home and play video games or have parasocial relationships with instagram or just be in a world that you can control right yes that's isolation yes. alone time is like hey i'm gonna take myself to the movies i'm gonna like go to a museum i'm gonna go for a walk i'm having fun like i've, I've been trying to figure out what my like self-love language is and for mm -hmm. me it's i'm realizing it's acts of service i'm like Aww. when i like I'm alone. I'm like, I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to like make my bed. And like, that's actually quality time for me is like doing acts of service for myself to make sure that like that. past me is taking care of future me, yeah. you know? And then I'll like open my lunch bag and there's like all these snacks in there. And I'm like, I did it. I took care of myself. Oh, it makes me really happy. You I know? That. So that's the first thing is, yeah, it's just not makes me whatever. I'm a derp. I like doing that stuff. Well, anyway, all this yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say like, that's the first thing, like, you know, with the loneliness, it's like, are you just isolating, you know? And mm -hmm. then if you're feeling lonely, because like, there's another kind of loneliness where it's like, oh, I have no supply and I'm crashing and I need mm -hmm. somebody to feed my supply. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm going to go on Instagram and like press a lot of buttons. I'm going to call my friend because I can't be alone with myself. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to call people because some people have trouble reaching out. I'm not demonizing that. Yeah. What I'm saying is sometimes there's this feeling of like deficit. And really, like, the only person who can fill that up is you. Yes. And sometimes, like, when you're starting to look to the outside and, like, have cravings about seeing your friends, like, really the best thing to do is be like, I am my own friend. Yes. I'm going to actually just, like, really have some quality time with myself, do some journaling, do some meditation, and get right with myself. And then be like, do I still have the urge to reach out? Or am I reaching out because I need someone as, like, my drug supply, you know? Yes. And, you know, to make a point, I was just in acting class and someone came up to do their piece. And we do something called black chair where you're really honest about what's going on in your life at the moment. And she basically was like, no one in my life has ever modeled for me how to love myself or yeah. to love themselves. Like they were like, my parents didn't, my grandparents didn't. And what it makes me realize is that there's probably a lot of audience members who are like, I don't even know what it looks like to parent, to reparent myself because I don't know, I don't have a baseline gauge because no one else in my life was doing that right in these isol hyper isolated situations often, right? Where they had a parent or two parents, whatever. Um, and I, I want to say like the, what you're sharing, Hale is really helpful in terms of starting really small and just yeah. being like, I'm going to brush my teeth. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah, going to pack myself like, a lunch. Yeah. That's the thing is that people get overwhelmed because they're like, how on earth will I ever love myself? And I'm like, it starts with the smallest. It's action. really in the details. And and I'll give an example of what I do. I do two things very clearly that are for me. Well, I guess three, I'll say three. The first one is like, I will go and take myself out to a coffee by myself and I won't wear headphones or bring my phone and I will just go and sit and enjoy the coffee by myself. Mm -hmm. That's a thing I do to be like, 
I'm, you know, I get to kind of have my little, I live in Paris moment, even though I don't live in Paris. Like I get to just live in that Pisces world a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing I do is I go on walks by myself and I will talk to myself out loud. That is something that I do because it's very helpful for me. I'm very auditory. The yeah. third thing I do is I do masturbate because it's very helpful. It's yeah. and, and, and sexual energy is extremely alchemical and extremely powerful. And it can, and you made a very good point where you're like, it's confronting and it's re that's the third thing I listed is the hardest out of the three things I do yeah. because you have to sit with really the like Scorpio gunk of who you are and all the trauma that's probably epigenetic and also collective. We have collective trauma too. Oh yeah. There's many, I feel like there's parts of my body that get re-armored with like, like for example, I would say like the cervix or like the inside of like the vaginal canal, if you want to use that language, you know, yes. Feel it just being covered energetically by this like shitty world we live in. And then yes. when I'm having sex, it's like initially painful. But mm-hmm. then the more that that I do it with my partner or like with something that I'm inserting or something, I'll feel the pain subside and then it will start to feel really pleasurable. And and in Tantra, the, you know, they call that de-armoring basically. Yes. So it's like when you're having solo sex, it's like if you haven't done it in a while, it's like you have to dust the cobwebs off and it's yes. like, go slow. This moment of de-armoring where all of these somatic sensations that have just been packed into your body and are sitting there will have to like be shaken out of your body again. And it's like, it's not always, it sometimes feels like, I mean, I always feel like I'm being haunted because like I grew up in a haunted house as we talked about in our last episode and I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So like there's all kinds of emotional flashbacks that I'm like always having that I don't know if there's like images associated or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm very often just shaking ghosts out of my body when I'm like trying to access pleasure, you know? Yeah. And sometimes that is too confronting and that's okay. But in that case, I want to experience pleasure in another way. So I'm going to cook myself a healthy meal or again, brush my teeth or like, you know, like do do some stretching or like play with the dog or something. Yes. And everything you're saying, I want to kind of pull out to the macro of of the details because we're getting in the Virgo. This is very Virgo detail moment. Like, what do I do on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. The macro thing that I hear both of us sharing about is that there's the the way to sort of heal and reparent, which we're talking, the reason we're talking about healing and reparenting is because it helps break the romance myth. And it helps us become more networked because if we have a surplus, we can then have more friendships and we can give more. Right. And the way to do that on a macro sense is you have to basically, even in the moments that feel extremely, really difficult because we're all processing trauma and not just our own, but collectively we're processing trauma. We have to take moments where we have to go, we have to go slow and we have to pause everything you're saying, Halo, when you're like, oh, I brush my teeth, I'm packing myself lunch. In those moments, you're not being reactive. You're you're choosing, you're slowing oh. yourself down. You're slowing down a thought process and saying, I'm going to do a, a psychosomatic thing. I'm going to brush my teeth. And the the slowing down, I think the biggest kernel, it's, it's broad, but the biggest kernel of advice I could give people who are on the beginning of a friendship with themselves or the beginning of a reparenting with themselves is slow your life down because what does late capitalism want you to do it wants you to be on the hamster wheel it wants you to just be reactive running yelling um trying to get what you said where you're like i was taking hits off people like they were drugs that's the life that we are being conditioned into in this moment and slowing down is absolutely radical yeah i mean to speak to that part of my recovery this past year was in june i did a no contact with all of my friends this was on purpose um, it was Pride Month, and basically I needed to reestablish a relationship with myself. It was also, I think, 
like my 12th house month. It was your 12th house transit. So it was like really astrologically nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I spoke to the people I lived with and the people I worked with, but apart from that, I didn't speak to any of my friends. And that was the wildest thing I've ever done because some really deep shit came up. I had all these beliefs like, oh, I don't know how to take care of myself, you know, like some adult child stuff. I don't know how to take care of myself. And therefore I'm using my friends as almost like people who can help raise me or help take care of me. And that's like not a consensual relationship. Right. And there was also like learning the difference between loneliness and like health or isolating and healthy alone time where I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm learning how to have healthy alone time. Yeah. Where like towards the end, I was like, oh yeah, I'm starting to really feel some deep stuff came up. Actually, what came up was a lot of gender dysphoria. So now I'm on testosterone. So I'm actually really grateful for that too. Yes, yes, congratulations. Thank you. I had to, um, it's, it's funny because as we keep doing podcast episodes, my voice is going to get deeper and deeper and people will be able yes. to be on the journey. Like, and there's Halo now. They're speaking. Yeah. Yeah, Dolly's totally. chart and it's a deep voice. Yeah, yeah. I know. I remember like listening to like Got Make on a radio show like before they transition like later, and it was like, "Hi, Gorge," and I was like, "Wow, this is gonna be me. I'm gonna be like that," you know? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, like a lot of you know, I had to. The real me was able to speak because I was able to like get rid of all the ways in which I drown out that real me mm-hmm. by like constantly being on the phone, hanging out with friends, asking people for advice, and just like generally using other people to disempower myself you know Mm, unconsciously and that's because it's happening really quickly too like i don't want anyone to feel blame listening or or shame or guilt when they listen to the podcast we are all like really trying to keep up with a a macro system that is is really unsustainable that's why i keep asking for a post-capitalist reality because i'm like we can't actually live in the hamster wheel for so many reasons you know and also like the hamster wheel is running out of steam anyway yes you know like I, the other day, I saw an ad to like, uh, like, um, do it like a, you know, when you have afterpay and you pay things in four payments, mm-hmm. but it was for like a Domino's pizza, and I was like, <laughs> oh my god, you can't, oh my gosh, it's for you pizza. Know, that's what I'm saying. I'm just like, wow, putting a pizza Black Mirror, Black Mirror, doing four payments on a pizza, like. That's when you know capitalism is really running out of ideas. Really running out of ideas. And part of what we're talking about, the the timing of this episode is absolutely beautiful to me because we are talking so much. The the underbelly, the archetypal underbelly of this conversation is how do we become more networked and free and equitable in our relationships, starting with our relationship to ourselves, right? Very so key, boring. right? Because th- this is so beautiful because this is all Aquarius, which is like future oriented. How do we create new structures after? Because it falls right after Capricorn. Capricorn is like capitalism, like hierarchies, <laughs> CEOs, make the money. Yeah. Like, yeah, daddy oh, Warbucks, man. like, boo, 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 boo. I'm so good. Yeah. They're both ruled by Saturn, which is very interesting. Both Capricorn and Aquarius are ruled by Saturn, but mm-hmm. Sat- Capricorn comes first and says, Hey, I built the, I built the, the skyscraper like Donald Trump. I'm just like, I always get like Donald Trumpy vibes. No offense to all my Capricorns. They're all probably like irk, irk, irked yet, by that. And yet Donald Trump was a Gemini and yeah, yeah it is a Gemini. I'm like once the Gemini, cause I'm like, is yeah. he dead? No, he's Yeah. And then, but then you get Aquarius, the, the sign that falls after Capricorn. And Aquarius is also Saturn ruled, which means structures. How do we create new structures? But Aquarius is like, let's flatten it. Let's just let's let's not yeah. do a, a, a skyscraper that it denotes a, a, a phallic power dynamic. Like, let's actually let everyone have like freedom. And that's it's interesting because freedom is a loaded ass word in the US. But Aquarius is like yeah. radical freedom, which involves being accountable to your inner child, your inner friendship, yeah. as well as accountable to the network that you need to be consistently feeding. 
So we cannot right. be isolated, which the romance myth is like, isolate, isolate, isolate. I was going to say, let's talk about like the romance myth. Like, yes. like you just watched this lecture. So do you want to like just have a crack at sort of summarizing briefly or giving a brief description of the romance myth and we can kind of like get into it, you know, yes. like, like if you talk, if I, you talk about the romance myth, I can immediately kind of have an idea of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want to like, what are you talking about? What is that? You know? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. The final thing I want to say about Aquarius, and then I'm going to move on, to, is, is that Pluto is about to move into Aquarius. So Pluto is the farthest outer planet. It rules power, control, dynamics. We are all, we have never experienced this transit in our lifetime. So the timing of this podcast is beautiful because we are talking, Halo, you and I are already like, we're kind of doing like warning flags to people like, hey, by the way, this, we need to fix this so that we can move into the future because Pluto's coming and we got to move. So there is a big energetic shift happening in March and it will continue into 2024. Right. And it is about networking right. yourself. It is about being free and like not being trapped in relationships, including a relationship to yourself because you're in a deficit. Well, I wanted to just say on an astrological front, I think it's really beautiful that Saturn is combust right now because yes. like Saturn's Saturn, it's combust until early March. And then March is when the North Node's go into Aries, right? Right. The well, we start we ha we start having eclipses in Aries in April, but before but March is really powerful because Saturn moves into Pisces, and then shortly thereafter Pluto moves into an Aqu into Aquarius for the first time in right. our lifetimes. And the pandemic energy kind of like it ends. It ends in March. Yes. And we're just like back. We're out, out of there. the COVID era in March. Yes. Right. But how interesting that before that Saturn, who's known as the slow goer, is combust. So yes. it's like that feeling of going slow and wading through the sludge and being like, what the fuck's going on? And Saturn's always the restrictor, always the one that holds back. Yes. Like, like the Hierophant energy is like, okay, but let's think about discipline. I'm going to slow mm -hmm. you down because you're not Integrity, safe. discipline. Mm -hmm. It's like uber slow right now. Yes, uber slow. I'm like, how, it's like if you don't go slow, you're fucked. Like we have to slow down in order to speed up. And then once yes. Saturn's combustion is over and, and all these eclipses start, bam, we're going to be yeah. like running out the gate, you know? Halo, Halo, you're making an incredible point here. Like I just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you just explained that because essentially what we're doing is, is almost like a turnstile or some sort of, there's a big slowdown because we're in the moment of a pivot. So when a dancer stops to make, to, to slow down so that they can then move in a different direction. We are at that slow motion all the way until April 20th. And then that Aries solar eclipse on April 20th, 420, is going to spring us into action, which Aries is great at doing. But you're absolutely correct. We are in a very slow moment right now. Very slow. Because we you have, have to slow down, then stop, and then move directions. Move directions. You know? Right? That's, how, that's literally stop. physics. <laughs> it's yeah, physics. it's literally, it's physics. Yes. This is actually a physics show yeah you know it's all <laughs> well, well yeah it's the astro it's the astrological bodies they're moving uh that's brilliant so this is a very slow moment i love this let's move into the romance myth let's totally do it so as i was listening to dean spade wow i mean just incredible everyone click the link in the show notes the, he, he talks about the history of how we have been fed force-fed especially western specifically western civilization has been force-fed a myth around how, or a story around how there is a penultimate love affair between, you know, the archetype is a white woman and a white man, both cis, right? Yeah. That's that's the archetype of this journey. The I'm lover's gonna... card on the tarot. The yeah, lover's totally. card on the tarot. Yeah. Absolutely. Adam and Eve. 
Adam and Eve. Let's just keep it real here. Like the white yeah. version of that, because we know that they both weren't white, but like whatever. Um, and the, it, it's, it's highly gendered, of course. And it is historic. It, it actually has historical uh, there's moments where you can track it. So when I was listening to Dean Spade, he starts talking about how, you know, white settlers came in in imperialism. They came to all these different parts of the world. Uh, you know, the Brits, the Spaniards, uh, the French, et cetera, went to these all, all these different parts of the world on their boats and they came to native folks and they saw how native folks had multiple genders, had multiple sexualities, had shamans, right? Had these like very communal living spaces and white people came in and were like, no, that's disgusting. That is actually a sin, right? So religion comes in here real hard. But and also this is related because what did those white Christian fundamentalist people come to do? Steal the land. And like, how does monogamy and Christianity work? We need to make sure that the woman who's assigned to the man is producing the heir of the man. And therefore she can't have sex with anyone else because basically that's the paternity test is that you yes. put a ring on her and she's loyal it's, it's to this man. It's property too. The ring is property. Yeah, property. Yeah. Exactly. That's the so history that his of that. parcel of land, right? So that his parcel of land, which he now has to have because we're doing agriculture, we're not just immediate return hunter gatherers, you know, getting berries and like hunting wild right. and whatever. Right. That piece of land that has wheat on it and whatever that's going to ensure your livelihood, it has to go to the actual blood relative of the man. So yep. we have to make sure that the woman is loyal to him. So when you have people of more than two genders and you have people that don't have the same relationship to marriage, or when you have people that are sharing, communally like living in communal houses and when you have people that are practicing agriculture in a different way or not at all then your entire system doesn't work and if you exactly. want to steal land from people then you have to force those ideologies onto that group of people yes i mean i just think of the word dowry in general like the da a dowry is, is a bride price bride well like literally i mean it's it's the yeah. it's the gift that the, the the parents of the bride give to the husband should she choose to leave her husband which is just you know ooh, that can't happen she it's it is something she can take with her in the event of divorce to ensure her financial security, which literally means that she does not have financial security going in to the situation. Right. right? And also it's often like relative to like the how much land the man has. So it's like, OK, the man has land and the woman has property and they need mm -hmm. to be equal to each other, which also explains why in early so-called U.S. history, 40 um, percent of slave owners were white women. Yes. Because often white women, part of their dowry was enslaved people. Yes. Yes. And so it's like, as someone who was socialized as a white woman, like a lot of the work that I had to do was understand the ways in which my gender identity was like massively racist. Because like in the fragility of the white woman of I can't take care of myself, I don't have land, but I do have property. There's always this idea, well, well I have ownership over this group of people. And that's what yes. allows me to have wow. That's what allows wow. me to have power as a white woman. Right. Oh, that's some like historical, like archetypal symbolism just that's in the body. Yeah. Oh, that's deep. That's really that's deep. Myth. Haunted as fuck. It's really haunted. Yeah. The U.S. has a lot of work to do. That's that Pluto yeah. transit. Where, yeah. where, here we go. Yeah. So, you know, going back to I actually took a class in my undergrad before I switched to being an art major and took a different journey. But I'm grateful for being a, I was a critical race, gender and sexuality studies major for actually for a while. I basically completed the degree almost almost keyword. <laughs> I, I remember reading a text called House of Vization by Maria Mies, and I really highly recommend that text. I think it's free online. Her last name is spelled M-I-E-S, Maria Mies. And 
House of Visation is she she dialogues, she really writes out like this is she starts more at the turn of the 20th century and she's like, this is how she uses Nazi propaganda, for example, but she uses all kinds of uh historical realities that were like, we have to create the perfect penultimate housewife who's taking care of her man because her man is working in the factories or right, or in the bill, you know, whatever work he's doing, but he has to come home and it's like the honey, I'm home. I love right. Lucy. All of that is so deeply ingrained in our parents' generation. I certainly think of my parents um, and our grandparents' generation. And then we are still living that out and trying to basically decol decolonize ourselves from that. Because that's how capitalism works, is that we need laborers to go to the factories. So in yes. order to need, have laborers, we need to produce the next generation of laborers. Yes. So women need to be like at, at home with babies so that the men can go to the factories and get abused by their bosses. But what happens is because these these working class men are so horrifically abused by their bosses, they come home to this soft housewife figure who's keeping this home. And where do they, they abuse her? their energy onto yes. her, right? Yes. And then something else happens when suddenly in the 80s and stuff, women are starting to go to work. And by, you know, when I say women, let me qualify. It's a lot of usually cis what gender white women. Yes. Like, I'm going to be a career woman now. So, mm -hmm. like, they now need someone to take care of the kids to so enter the nanny, right? And the nanny is usually an immigrant, someone who's undocumented, someone who has even less power and is now leaving their children behind to show up to make sure that the next generation of, of capitalist yep. workers is kept alive. So care labor, care labor in capitalism is always um, deprioritized and unwaged or unfairly waged because without it, capitalism couldn't survive. It can't survive. We can't have salaries. We can't have all these things yeah. without this being there. And which is why Silvia Federici wrote this really amazing manifesto called Wages Against Housework from this book, Wages for Housework, where she's like, what if all of these housewives started demanding wages so that they could refuse work? Then capitalism yes. would fall apart. It would fall apart. This is the whole point. Yes, so, it would fall apart. They call the it essential labor today, and I'm like, well, essential labor. Okay, but essential no, labor. I no know. No one's yeah. getting paid. No one's getting paid to yeah. do it. Who, yeah. who counts as an essential worker? I mean, I think about this a lot because I'm like, everyone's at home watching Netflix in the pandemic, and yet set workers are considered essential labor. And I'm like, yeah. who's making your movies anyway? Yeah. The point of this story is, in order to make this work that all these people are gaslit into basically doing free labor their whole lives, getting beaten up you know, like having kids, mm -hmm. finding other people to take care of those kids, then we have to like create a myth. Yes. Like this, the Nietzsche's idea of like this sort of myth that covers yes. all of society, right? Yes. What's it going to be? Love and romance. And it has to come through media. I mean, that's a big part of Neptune rules media, media and, and Neptune is about um, literally the, the, there's that classic uh in it was was it bugs bunny where there's that um circle that is uh hypnotizing the hypnotizing circle that yeah, we're in the cartoons totally. a lot that's neptune yeah, and that's the film industry it's a it's a hypnotic medium and wow, that's so funny the loony like the looney tunes, looney tunes where they do the like hypnotism that's neptune <laughs> neptune is the master hypnotist you don't know what's real that's I'm why hypnotized by looney tunes i'm oh it, and the whole point, I'm bringing this up because I think of Walt Disney so much. Yeah. I, I have my own example that I'll bring up, but like Walt Disney is like the pant, but to me is just like, look, I mean, every single big Disney movie is all about romance, prof profoundly about limerence, which we can def will define in a moment, yeah. but like really is about this man usually that is like a prince or a knight or like a genie or, you know, or like whatever, Aladdin, right. like the right that that is like on a hero's journey and the woman needs to be saved there's a damsel in distress that yeah, needs to she's be saved in a tower. she's behind a wall she's underground she's in an ocean she's in a she's in the sky wherever she's somewhere that she can't get out and the yes. only person who can penetrate her 
mm-hmm. to get her out of there is some fucking strapping dude with a dick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the whole the whole thing that movies do so intensely, and I know this as an actor and as someone who's in, I'm in acting class every week for like sometimes 10, 12 hours, we work on a lot of scenes and limerence is present in 80% of them. And yeah. what is limerence? It's a state of infatuation or obsession with another person that involves an all-consuming passion and intrusive thoughts about that person. We are fed that. Disney fed that. Otherwise known as love addiction. Love addiction, yes. Yeah, literally, yes. that is love addiction. And also, it really requires um, what is called a fantasy bond, which is basically like, and people have these all the time. Married people have these. I'm deeply fascinated by this idea of fantasy bonds. But basically, it's this idea that you have a bond with someone. It's not actually real. You made it up in your head. And I can tell you, like, like literally, so there's all these married couples that like have this idea that they're close, but they're basically living as roommates and they're super not close to each other. They just cohabitate and like go shopping together and grocery shopping and live their days, but they don't have a real bond. That's a fantasy bond. But also like being friends with someone and inventing in your head that they secretly have a crush on you and you're just looking for signs until they finally admit their love to you. That is also a fantasy. Also limerence. Yes. No, or feeling like you're closer to your sibling than you actually are. Like you're like, oh my God, I love my sister. We're best friends. Meanwhile, she doesn't tell you a lick of what's going on in her personal life. That's a yeah. fantasy bond. Right? Yes. And we see it in these, I mean, these things about fantasy bonds and limerence is that you see in all these Disney movies that the male character, the male archetypal character, he's making decisions because he's he can't shake the woman. Like he falls in love. So we have these moments. I think of Aladdin. We have these moments where... <gasps> the world stops. I see her. My whole life now is around surrounding around her, which creates, Dean Spade talks about this in the talk, it creates these like acceptable behaviors, especially for young men who are watching yeah. or young masculine yeah. folks, yeah. acceptable behaviors, including stalking, including yeah. stalking, including, you know, uh, violence. Wait outside about- our house just to catch a glimpse of her, i.e. Romeo standing on the balcony, basically doing playing noise (laughs) so that Juliet has to come out so he can woo her you know I mean Romeo and Juliet may I'm so glad you brought that up because that's exactly what I was thinking when I said it Romeo and Juliet may be the ultimate um example of this kind of behavior because they literally they kill each other they kill themselves commit suicide after spending like 24 hours together exactly and that's actually like I mean that might be the most acute version of the fantasy bond and limerence and but it it is the reason that you and I are talking about this right now for the audience is we're trying to show you what is underneath and holding up all of the the architecture of late capitalism at this moment we need to have this sort of fantasy bond of oh this one other person and whether you're queer or not or trans or not the the archetypal energy of Aladdin and Jasmine that sort of like the man and the woman, it it infects all of us. We are all right. navigating it right now. I know. I had this thought, like, you know, for about four years ago, I was like woofing across Canada, staying on these like organic farms. And I stayed with this family that had these kids. And I was like singing some Disney song to like the girl who was like nine. And she didn't know what I was talking about. And I was like, well, it's from this Disney. And it was a Disney movie. I forget which one. Maybe it was like The Little Mermaid or something. And she's like, I don't know what that is. And I was like, well, it's Disney. And she's like, oh, our mom doesn't let us watch that stuff. She says it's not feminist. And I was sitting there and I was like, what do you mean? You know, like, even though I completely agree and like, she's probably saved her children from like early on brainwashing. Yes. The idea that someone hadn't seen this cultural touchstone that literally every person on the planet had seen actually horrified me. And I had to like really interrogate that and just be like, which is worse being cut off. And this is always the thing. Like sometimes 
I remember like back in the day, I mean, it might be impossible now, but I remember like in the nineties or some kids who didn't have a TV. So they just yes. didn't watch the Simpsons. They yes. didn't know what was going yes. on. But it also meant they weren't consuming this wild, evil garbage that was like on the TV all the time. I mean, like, yeah. worse, like being totally out of touch with like the cultural zeitgeist, but actually being like less infected by poison or like swallowing the poison and having to like regurgitate it later to realize that all your faves are problematic. Yeah. You know? I, I don't know if there's a better or worse, but my thought about it since I've been around children who were not raised on television yeah. is I find them to be almost almost like david bowie's homo superior like they're almost a separate species like yeah. the way that they are able what it is halo is this like groundedness and rootedness in who they are because yeah. they're not this is part of the issue that freud's having a field day around is like we we are raised by these parents who are in these highly pressurized situations to, to force love towards each other because yeah. that's all they they i think about my parents i'm like they had so little autonomy over their choice around around the power dynamics in their relationships because there there was no articulation of like what you and i are talking about right now the romance myth there was no articulation around actually it takes a, a village to raise a child actually yeah. You can have non-monogamous realities and it doesn't mean the end of the world. In fact, you can be, it can be really healthy, et cetera. So yeah. these kids are raised in these hyper-pressurized situations and then they're internalizing gender dynamics. And especially if they're trans or non-binary and right. they're right. Like that's such a mind fuck for us as queer and trans people. Yeah. But even I'm for right. cis people. Yeah. I mean, I literally remember looking at Aladdin being like, I am Aladdin and I'm Princess Jasmine and yeah. I'm attracted to Aladdin and Princess Jasmine. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. like in many ways, I had more in common with the fucking genie than like the actual oh, yeah. beings, right? Yeah. The trans person is always the monster or the dragon or the genie when people are doing. That's a whole other podcast episode. That's the queer gothic. Yes. yes, yeah, yes. The queer gothic. But this yes. whole idea that like, you know, I just I look back and all the kids at school knew I was trans because they literally would make up songs and stories about me being a man. Mm. But I couldn't figure it out because I love Disney princesses. But actually, I was probably just a fanboy faggot, you know? Yeah. But who in my life was going to tell me that? <laughs> like, well, and we're, I, I mean, for me to just get like on my pulpit here, like we are trans people and queer people are rainbow bridges. So we're really, yeah. we do resonate with both and yeah. we are, but part of why we resonate with both is so, and we have so much tension with it is that we're helping to break this spell where, I mean, yeah. by loving both, like the way that you support the spell of the, of the romance myth is you fall in line. You're like, oh, I'm a man. I'm the prince. I'm yeah. saving the princess. That's what I'm doing. And they and then they end up beating their wife like 30 years later. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it, it's just not a sustainable and it's also system. it's sad for those men that are enacting that violence because it comes from the fact that ever since they were small boys, they weren't allowed to cry. Exactly. Like their own mothers would have been yes. like, man up. You're a boy, a man now. You have to be the yeah. man in the house, right? Yep. Like their own mothers, the women in their life. Of right? course. Those yeah. are the ones that are telling them they can't cry. They can't have feelings. They can't go to therapy. Yeah. So like it just... It's just such a systemic thing. That's yes. why I try to not like shit on the men. You no, know? not at all. I have tons of compassion. Tons of compassion. Developed, you know? Yes. And I think talking about monogamy and polyamory, this is very interesting. Like for myself, I've basically been poly my whole life, but I was starting to realize that I probably only literally have capacity for one other person in terms of partnership, like just yes. on a time level. Same. Love <laughs> level. <laughs> Like my attention being realistic here. <laughs> I want to give my best attention to one person. And I also like I do want to live in a house with them, even if it's like we each have our own side of the house and decorate it separately. Or I love that. Maybe oh, we're next that. door neighbor. That's my dream. That's a dream. Yeah. I know. So there's just a party where I'm like, okay, I want these things. And the same people, same way that like I have no issue with a cis person that like really thinks about their gender and they're like, I'm cis. Great. You can <laughs> it out. Similarly, mm -hmm. 
if someone's monogamous and they really sit there and they weigh all their options and they're like, I'm monogamous, I'm like, great. I'm not saying one is better or worse. I'm just saying yep. do your homework, understand the whole structure, and figure <laughs> do out do you, your homework. You know? <laughs> yeah. So like, similarly, like when I talked with my partner, we were both like, Yeah, we both came from polyamory, but right now we really just want to be with each other. So we were like monogamous for a minute. And then we were like, well, okay, but we're still like sexually explorative people that want to be yeah. able to like open up. Mm-hmm. So we have, we're sort of negotiating different kind of concepts and rules around like what non-monogamy would look like. Mm-hmm. And that feels healthy because it's like, it's also separating sex from love. It's also understanding yes. like people will make sex mean all kinds of things. They'll be yes. like, we have sex, therefore we're going to date. We have sex, therefore we're dating. We yeah. have sex, therefore there we're going to fall in love. And I'm like, mm-hmm. or they'll be like, we have sex. We just had sex and it doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, just like anything, sex can mean so many different things. So many things. It's just important to understand what that means and how and, that's going to function in your life. You know. And Dean Spade says something really important here, just to slip this into what you're saying about your conversation with Caleb around like, what are the boundaries looking like? We're doing our homework together. Dean Spade makes a very important note about kind of moving into the age of Aquarius around relationships, which is, he says like, it, it has to be okay that relationships are always changing and the rules are all the thing that he says very clearly is the romance myth is static. It's static. You're the prince. You're the princess. You're stuck. You have kids. You're stuck. I mean, I grew up in Salt Lake city, Utah, Mormons, they live this out and it is horrifying. And that's why there's so much like crazy shit happening in the Mormon church. To your point, you're like Caleb and I are having active and living and breathing conversations, knowing that right now we are, engaging in a contract around monogamy but there's some caveats and that could also change in a year in two months in five years etc exactly and it's like that what's beautiful about our relationship which i really think is a gift of recovery for me is that we can actually just have honest conversations yeah and we don't take it personally because we're not running scripts you know i think a really good famous person example of this is gabby tuft she Mm. is a transgender woman who was a former WWE wrestler and before yes. she transitioned was this absolutely massive like dude with these like dreadlocks, you know, and <laughs> married to her wife, Pamela, for like 24 years. They have a kid together and Pamela stayed with her when through her transition. They're very public. They're still in love. And Pamela's like, I'm going to love this person until I drop dead. We're married. I love her. We have a kid together. Right. But they had this, they, they have this couples podcast and something they've been talking about is like when P like Gabby's partner was like, oh, I had to let go of the idea of my big, strong man. Mm-hmm. And if you look at them together back in the day, you can tell that Pamela is like asserting her, she's very petite, very small, very feminine. She's asserting her femininity against the masculinity of her partner because that's the script. Yes. So when her partner is like, I'm actually fully just a woman and I'm a very femme woman at that, it's like now this other person has to reestablish her femininity against another very feminine woman as her partner. Mm. What does that mean about her gender? What does that mean about her sexuality? Yes. Right. But if anything, it seems like they've gotten closer as people because Gabby's living her authentic life yes. and she fully documented her transition online. She fully answers all of these very stupid questions that the trolls post. Like, I love her, you know, Yeah. but it's like it's literally watching the romance myth like break down in, in real time. In real and time. Like these two people are having a better relationship now because they're not using each other's gender, using each other's gender presentation and role to reinforce to establish their own identity. Yes. They're having to like just be like, OK, we're actually just two people. Yes. And it's really beautiful to watch. And they stay married and they have a kid. Like this is the whole thing is that, and this is what I believe about like an open energy system versus a closed energy system, which is something I learned about in like love recovery too, right? A closed energy system is when like I'm with my partner and my partner is my whole supply. I use mm-hmm. them for love, I use them for sex, I use them for dating, I use them for friendship. And mm-hmm. like, I don't feel like I have oxygen unless they're in my presence, right? 
a lot of people, including me, have been in relationships like that before where you slowly start to suffocate because there isn't enough oxygen in the system because nothing new is coming in and everybody starts suffocating, right? Yes. When you're in that system, if that person has other friends, if they want to go back to school, if they have other people they're romantically interested in, anything, it's all considered a threat to your supply. And so you try to cut them off from the outside world. And that's how a lot of couples end up super isolated in their house, kind of miserable with each other, right? Yes, absolutely. An energy system asserts the reality that like you will never ever be fully in your partner's life you will only ever partially overlap but you'll each have a full and robust life on your own outside of the relationship so that you can go outside you can go back to school you can like maybe live in another city you can have other friends you can be dating other people whatever your agreements are and bring all of that nourishment back to the primary friendship yes and the energy is moving the energy is moving through it's not stagnant Part of, I just want to make a little note here, part of like evolutionary psychology that I can bring in is like humans are terrified of variables. I think on a, on a deeply subconscious level, we're very scared of change. It's like archetypally because, you know, if you're moving through the, the, the forest and you see a color from an animal that you don't recognize, your Neanderthal brain is like, I need to destroy that thing or I need to run, right? That's fight, fight, or freeze. Tribe. Right. And right. like in my tribe of 125 people, if I get kicked out, I'm going to die. I'm fucked. Exactly. So I have, have to conform somewhat. So we have know? social pressures in our tri- from our tribes, but we also have like literally neurological synapses happening that are saying that could be dangerous. So open, I just want to reflect for you, open systems. I love this. I'm like, yes, let's do this. And it's going to be hard for for folks to get on board because you have to kind of like massage your way into these systems. Right, exactly. Like freedom comes at a cost of like, you have to feel fucking uncomfortable a lot. Right, but on the other side of that discomfort is a very strong relationship with yourself, with yes. your higher power if Agreed. you have one, you know? Yes. And then you can treat the other person more like a person who has needs. Yes. Like I realized that like in the past, if someone else was doing something I didn't like, I would like frame it in my head that they were a bad guy because I wasn't getting my need met in this very specific strategy that I had chosen. Mm-hmm. Now, like they're an autonomous person. I just want them to be happy. Yes. And like, I want to make sure that I'm happy too. And like, let's talk about that. And let's find compromise, et cetera. Yes. Right. yes. Exactly. And also it's really important for me to say, like, I know people that are in an open energy system and they're sexually monogamous, right? Mm-hmm. And I know people that are polyamorous, like hardcore, and are in a very closed energy system with one of their partners, and they're like suffocating each other. So it's not just about having other sexual partners. Like, say you're someone that, you know, you listen to the podcast, and you're like, you know, I just really am monogamous, and I actually do want to be married and live in a house with my partner. Cool. How are your friendships? How are your relationships with your family? How are your partner's friendships? How are their relationships? Yes. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that, like, this is why I love relationship anarchy is that, like, it just really looks at like who is actually the closest person in your life because it yes. might not always be your partner. Like yes. I, I passionately love my partner and he's definitely one of the closest people in my life. And also I haven't known him for very long, right? Yeah. Compared to, I have friends that I'm still close with that I've known for half my life from college. Yes. I have 20 year friendships. I have lifelong yes. friendships. I have 15 year friendships. I have very potent five year friendships, three year friendships, you know, like I have a sister that I really love. Like like there may be other people in my life that I'm literally closer to than my actual romantic partner. And that's not really about the love and the passion I feel for my romantic partner. It's just about like time. It's about what we've seen each other go through. And, and I think I was single. I'll just quickly wrap up yeah. and say like, I was single for long periods of time. And that was part of my disease. But what it did was it made me not lean on the romance myth. Like some people are serially mm. Yes. Serial monogamy. Absolutely. I just never really assumed that a partner would meet certain needs. So I've just always had a wide circle of friends. 
And so that yeah. allows me to be in open energy systems now that I have recovery when I'm with someone. I don't. Just You've got like, a good setup for it. You've got a good yeah, setup. Yeah, I've got a good setup for it. Yeah. You know, whereas some people are like they don't necessarily have lifelong friendships, and so when they get into a partnership, they're like, "Cool, I'm going to get all these needs met." So then they have to interrogate. Hyper pressurized. Mm-hmm. Right. And they have to interrogate, okay, like part of my, the success of my relationship is going to be the success of my friendships. Right. Yes. The yes. Which I, right. The extent yes. I'm involved in like service positions, giving back to yes. the community, just doing things to make sure my attention is elsewhere. Yes. So that I have cool, interesting stories to tell my partner at the end of the day. Exactly. Right? Dean Spade says this very clearly in the talk. He basically says like, the way that we can apply consciousness to creating a more healthy network and a more open energy system, he doesn't use that phrase per se, but but that's what he's saying, is like, you you just apply consciousness. You know who you can go to to talk about your favorite books. Yeah, You know who you can go to to talk about some really deep psychosexual trauma. With an, like, you know, we all, and, and if you don't have those people, then you have to slow down and ask yourself, what am I doing where I'm trying to pile that all on top of one person? Right. Right. Or yeah. the antithesis of what you said, which is hyper isolation, where you're not sharing any of that with anybody anyone. or you or you are in a parasocial way, like online or in a game or something like that. Right. right. You're just creating this persona. This is a problem with social media is that it really facilitates parasocial super ego. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think there's something really beautiful about like all the different examples that Dean Spade brings up in this talk. Like, why is it OK that you and your partner would like take a trip across the country but if you wanted to do that with a friend people would be like what's wrong with you Mm -hmm. or if you want to move across the country to be in the same city as your partner and literally abandon your whole life or get change your whole life that's considered romantic but if you were actually to give up your whole life and move across the country for your friend people would be like there's something fucking wrong with you yes oh my gosh you know halo i just read for a client two days ago three days ago and you know, I could tell that she was kind of cracked open when I looked at her chart. I looked at her North Node in the 12th house in Aries. And I was like, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't ask my partner, I don't ask my clients what's going on in their lives. I don't want to ever know the details because the, the chart will tell me and then they can share their details at the end of the reading. Her, I just saw an aspect where I was like, you need a certain amount of hermeticism in this lifetime. You need to live alone in this lifetime. And she just like broke open in front of me and was like, I've never given myself permission to live alone, but I've been thinking about it for a decade. Yeah. And she's like, I'm in a partnership and I love that person, but I kind of want to live in a different home than them. And I was like, this is exactly what Dean Spade's talking about. And I was like, honey, I gave her, I was like, I don't know if you need my permission or the star's permission, but like, this is very good for you, given your chart. You know? Literally, I, I mean, I heard a story once of this couple that was married and they were kind of miserable. And it was really just because they loved each other, but they just were not suited to marriage. And so the woman, it was a man and a woman, suspense, this woman, woman moves out, gets her own place. They get divorced and they keep dating and their life is awesome now. And they love each other more. I they know. don't live in the same fucking house. They're not yep. having to do all these dumb shared duties. Their relationship yep. is like dramatically improved because they just weren't meant to be married. They were meant yes. to have a different kind of system, but they still passionately love each other. This is part of the romance myth is that like, you know, you can you can make it fit for you and you can still have the romance. This is the point. Like you can still have the romance, but you have to be hyper conscious of how that romance is playing out and whether you're just signing up to scripts, the marriage script, the kids script. Right. And and like really subtle scripts, too. Like, for example, like my is a good example for my own life. My partner and I are long distance. We're twelve hundred miles apart. Right. People are like, why are you marrying someone that's so far from you? And I'm like, actually, the distance is super healthy because it means that as we've gotten to know each other, we haven't glommed on each other. Mm-hmm. Also, my partner gets to have his own life and have mm-hmm. his own friendships, which is something that is a barrier of growth for him. 
I'm very busy. We're both very busy, but like I have, I just need to say like, I have a lot of stuff going on in my life. Yeah. And like being able to like see each other like once a month for a concentrated period of time and put out all our attention on each other and then like still be in contact a lot, but be in different spheres has actually been super healthy for us to get to know each other slowly and organically. And even though we do plan to live together, we're going to do it at a time that makes sense. So for example, let's say that my partner finishes his graduate degree and then he moves to LA eventually, right? I don't necessarily think that we should just immediately live together, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it would behoove us to live in separate places for a year. Maybe it would behoove us that he actually pays some rent into my place and keeps a place there and does half and half for like a year. Right, right? totally. Like what is a saying, again, because if if my partner is moving here for me, I'm asking them to give up their entire life for Mm -hmm. one person in a city that they wouldn't otherwise live in. Is it actually healthy? Is that actually the right thing to do? Just because it's the romance myth. And I get this all the time. Will you guys live together soon? When is he going to move down here? Like Disney-fied, Disney-fied, Disney-fied. That we don't live in the same city. And my whole thing is just like, yeah, of course, I think we'll live together. I think it more makes more sense for my partner to move here since like part of why he's in that city is for grad school. It wasn't necessarily Mm going to be a long-term choice. But at the same time, it's like, he needs to be able to spend enough time here that he has not just me as a reason to move here. He exactly. Needs he needs, he to, needs be to be to networked. He needs, he needs to be networked. Set up his career, right. And so it's like being sane and responsible about helping my partner set up a network in the place that I'm asking him to move instead of just being like, well, if you really love me, you would give up everything in your life. Like I would not, listen, if someone gave me that ultimatum, I'd be like, see ya. Yeah, bye. Absolutely. It's 100%. Just not, it's just about actually being humane towards yes. the people that we're dating. And for some reason, the, I mean, for some reason, the reasons we just talked about for an hour, like <laughs> this society really thinks all fair is in love and war. And then it's okay to like call your partner bad because they're not doing what you want. Yeah. Like abuse your partner, yeah. see your partner in a way that like is actually super negative and putting them down all the time because you're not getting your hit. You're not getting yeah. what the Disney movie told you that you were going to get. Gonna get. And yes. it's just it's just so dehumanizing and no one deserves to be treated that way. Some people think it's okay to treat their partner in a way that they would never treat their best friend. Mm-hmm. They would never treat their sibling, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's their partner. They're like, I'm going to cage this person up and just yell at them until they kowtow to me. Yes. I'm just, how is that love? Yes, I agree. How is that love? And this circles back really nicely at the end of the episode here. It circles back to what we were saying about being your own friend. Because if you're being your own friend, you're actually breaking down, you're having a conversation with your shadow. The only way to be your own friend is to have like you what you said when you were like like when i'm doing solo sex practices there's this confronting quality that's that's your shadow right that's your shadow and and what is the shadow if we're talking about depth psychology or jungian psychology it's the parts of you that are unconscious or unintegrated or that you you kind of sense but you're like oh i don't want to go there oh i don't want to go there i sense it i don't want to go there like what you said where you're like what are the things that turn me on and it's like that's the shadow because sometimes it's sometimes it's really uncomfortable to face what turns us on and weird and like we're just and the ego is judging you all of a sudden. So yeah. part of developing a healthy friendship with yourself, first and foremost, is it's all actually a practice around individuation is integrating your shadow and yeah. creating a depth and an autonomy to who you are. Some people yeah. use the phrase sovereignty. I'm not really going to go there with that. But just this depth of like, I I, I know who I am. I know the parts of me that are kind of kind of crunchy. Right. Or like, I know my desires that are potentially taboo. And I know what my predilections are for violence because we all have them, whether they're yeah. whether they're microaggressions or macroaggressions. Yeah. And when you're integrating yourself on that level, 
then you are able to start breaking the chains of the romance myth because if you're friends with yourself and you're like, I accept my shadow or or, or I am in a intentional long-term dialogue to integrate my shadow. That's probably a better way to say it because it's a process. Like I'm I'm not sitting here on the podcast being like, I've integrated my shadow. You're welcome. Yeah. Like, it's a daily process. It's a daily process. But if you have consciousness towards that, you can start to have relationships where there's an open system, open energy system. Right. I mean, I, I for six months, me and a friend of mine, we did a shadow work journal, which had like 25 questions. Because I was like, I need to talk to my shadow, right? And the questions were things like, in what ways do you sabotage your relationships? Mm-hmm. In what ways do you um, like mistreat people when you don't get what you want? And then you just answer honestly. And I realized like that for a long time, a part of me didn't want to acknowledge the ways in which I'm acting out. But when I actually sat there and be like, this is how I sabotage my relationships. This is how I manipulate people into giving me what I want. I was able to finally change those behaviors. Yeah. And I also totally agree with you about the friendship thing, because if you're being a good friend to yourself, you know what good friendship is. And, and it's hard It's hard to justify being violent towards other people. Yeah, too. Because, you're, because you wouldn't do it to yourself, right? But if you are sitting there abusing yourself all the time, then you have no problem doing it to everyone else. Exactly. Right? And then you also realize your partner is also your friend. How do you treat a friend? Is that how you would treat a friend? Yeah, your partner has to be your friend. That's a big part of the Valentine's Day thing. I think it's hilarious that Valentine's Day falls in the smack dab center of Aquarius season because it's like, look, this is about are you friends with your lover? Yeah. And that's what you just said. Like, would you treat a lot of people treat their lovers very distinctly and they wouldn't treat their best friend or their sibling like that? Well, this is a good question. Literally, Shelby Dean's character, Yaya, and Triangle of Sadness like he like the guy's like i want to be best friends she goes i don't want to fuck my best friend she says that i just watched Um, that happen in acting class last night yeah i'm like i want to fuck my best friend it's my partner's one of my best friends and as someone who like has a solo sex practice and i consider myself my best friend i'm like absolutely i want to fuck my best friend i want to fuck me are you kidding i fuck my best friend all the time every day you know and then yeah my second best friend's my partner but there's number one best friend that's me um You know, um, yes. And and I, I think underneath it all, too, is is definitely we are reparenting ourselves. I just keep thinking of Freud. Freud is haunting the hell out of this conversation because I just feel like we were raised by people who didn't most of them did not have these tools. And so we're a lot of our triggers are like whatever's coming up or we're like, I'm not getting my needs met. We are we're poorly trained, like collectively, we're poorly trained. So we do use manipulations and microaggressions to try to get our way. So I just want to frame the conversation. We're not saying like, if you do these things, you're bad. It's like, we're all poorly trained. And we're trying to retrain ourselves. And it does start with the self. It starts with slowing down with yourself. And I'll also just say, generally, as millennials, we're kind of the first generation to really like go to therapy. Pluto Scorpio, Pluto Scorpio. So it's just like, we're having to do a lot of like, we're basically getting fucked as a generation. And I actually feel kind of completely fine with that because I saw the wealth and the abundance that my parents' generation had literally Mm -hmm. as being boomers, buying a house for $5,000. Oh yeah, yeah, living their best lives. Yep. Whatever. So the whole thing is like, I just knew there would be less for us, but I also knew that we were going to be the first generation to turn the fucking boat around. So it was facing the right direction. And the kids after us would be born facing the right direction. Yes. They're having to like deprogram themselves in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, right? A a lot of my astrological mentors who are not millennials, by the way, they are boomers. They are Gen X. They have said over and over again, they're like millennials are, they are the ones turning the boat around to use your metaphor. Like they really give us credit. And I appreciate that from astrologers. And also just like people have sort of done the numbers on like voting and stuff. And the millennials are the first generation to not get more conservative as they age. 
Yeah. Oh. Every generation of Baba eventually everyone becomes a fucking Republican. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. Well, I look, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I hate Republicans there. You said it. <laughs> yeah. All cops are bastards. We got yeah, it. We know, it. We, know what's all, we know what's happening on the pod. I don't really give a fuck. Trans, this is the world yeah. of Rex. I'm not Listen, hiding. If you've already made it to this fucking podcast, you're probably <laughs> not a Republican because you're speaking to two men with vaginas right now. Yes. So. Ooh, big, big pussies. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's it. What it's a wonderful it. place to end the episode. Kayla, <laughs> do you have do you have anything else to say, share, feel before we wrap up here? To be continued, because I know you're coming back with a deeper voice, and I'm so excited for that. Yeah, totally. I'll just say, I love Marvel. I love being on this podcast. I love my partner. Thanks for letting me talk about us. Um, and also, like, just get ready for Marvel's cool American Masculinity Project. Yes, thank you. It's very sexy. It's very interesting. It's very affirming. Mm. And if I have news that I can actually publicly announce about my work, I will do so. And wish me luck for getting married. Yes. Send Halo tons of positive vibes as you make major transformations, medically transitioning and getting married. This is a big moment as the North Node enters Aries in the yeah, spring. I'm just getting ready. Boom, boom, boom. I'm in Aries. Like, this is my time. That's what I'm time saying. This yeah. is your time. Your time is coming. The North Node's going to be like, check out the Aries. So keep your eyes out on the Aries. I have a progressed Aries sun, so I'm very excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm an Aries too. I'm in the club. I'm invitation uh -huh, crowd. Uh -huh. um, you know. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to The World of Rex. I will post Halo's information so you can check out their work and their social media in the link in the show notes. I'll also post the Dean Spade video. I hope that this was helpful. I feel like we could have talked about the romance myth for another hour. And also, if anyone has any questions about anything we shared, please feel free to reach out. You know how to get a hold of me. There's going to be a link in the show notes. And thank you for listening to The World of Rex. You want to say goodbye, Halo? Yeah, I want to say goodbye. I want to say St. Valentine's is also the patron saint of epilepsy and beekeeping. Make it make sense. You cannot. <laughs> and we're out. <laughs>